0: First verse, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, look up here a little bit. Spiritual worship can be translated in another term, but the original Greek word is latria. Latria is a Greek word describing Ministers in the Old Testament serving in the temple. Well, now, they were worshiping, all right, but there it's a descriptive term about ministering and serving in the temple. You see, a lot of people don't understand what spiritual worship is. They think spiritual worship is speaking in tongues. And it it does include speaking in tongues and praying in the Spirit. I love to pray in the Spirit. I love to sing in the Spirit. And whenever I have the opportunity, I get on the piano, you know, I would just go and play some chord progression and start singing in the Spirit. I love doing that. You know, but a lot of people think that's spiritual worship. That it's part of it, but a very small part. A lot of people think spiritual worship is coming to church on Sunday, you know, having this, having the awesome worship team to come and lead us worship, you know, and have smoke machine. Nothing wrong with that because we have that hallelujah. You know, have lights and all that, That spiritual worship. No, that's not worth spiritual worship. It might include that. And by the way, those smoke machines, let me tell you this, they don't do anything for those of you who knows how to enter in. Because you wouldn't even notice this. I know people attacking it on Facebook. And, you know, I was thinking to myself, that's what they say about drums 60 years ago. When we brought drums into church and they say that's from some, some, some tribes in some foreign land that they're just going worshipping the devil and they were doing beats and so forth. I don't know if you remember that. I grew up, you know, in the 60s, 70s, and, 70s, and 80s. And that's why we're attacking people using drums and here we are. So I don't really pay much attention to all the people who judge and criticize. But if you are just a spiritual worshiper, you wouldn't even notice. You know, my wife was telling me, I was telling her, I was telling her the other day, oh, you know, you, we added this, that, the other thing. She went, I didn't even notice. My eyes were closed because you already enter into the worship, right? And you say, Pastor, why do we need that? Well, we need that to help people. See, everything we do here is to lead and help people to come closer to the Lord. But if smoke machines and lights are all we got, we're kidding ourselves. What we need is the Holy Spirit. And yes, we're going to use tools and whatever tools, keyboard, guitar, lights, whatever, to help people who may be wandering in the outer courts. And don't know how to get into the holy of holies. We trying to go. You know, in the old days, you know, when Jesus came, he went to where people were. He didn't hang out with the righteous people. He went to the sinners. He went to hang out with them. He went to the level and uh, the level of those who are needing help. He went and reached to them and pulled them out. Do you know that the most amazing language of our days is the language of music? Music is probably one of the most important ways we communicate with one another. And so, you know, the world knows that. They're communicating all right. But, you know, music's how, how it appeals. And especially for younger people, you know, I've heard stories of people coming to this church and they have kids with them and they saw all this thing and they go, whoa, I want to go back to church. Now, the first time, the second time, they may be coming for a show. But I pray every day, Father, Whoever walks through that door, you will somehow touch them. Holy Spirit is not our music, it's not our smoke machine, it's not my sermon, it's not our lights, It's your presence that will touch them. But you know worship, coming on to worship on Sunday is not spiritual worship. It may include that, but it isn't. Because true spiritual worship, listen to me carefully, true spiritual worship is what is being described here. In some translation it says, which is your reasonable service unto the Lord. Because it uses the word of priests serving God in the temple in the Old Testament. Well, guess what? You are a chosen generation. Royal priesthood, a peculiar people who should show forth the strength of him who had called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. You are a chosen generation. Royal priesthood. Royal priesthood. You and I are supposed to be serving God in his temple rather than just singing. You know, our modern days of understanding what true worship is, is to come to church, have a great time in our song and sing inspiration or whatever you call it, and then have an amazing preacher just to encourage it and inspire us. And it's great. It's good. And God wants to bless us that way. There's no condemnation in that. But I'll tell you what. Your experience. Of your faith will quadruple. In fact, I'll guarantee you go a hundred times better when you'd follow the Word of God to worship Him by serving in His house. Can I hear it? Amen this morning. Come on, I don't hear a lot of enthusiasm. It's to serve. What is his house? You are the, cor- Jesus is the cornerstone. You are the living stone. We are the house. It's not a building anymore. It's one another. We serve one another. When you serve one another, then you are worshiping God. If you were to look into the Old Testament, you understand how worship is. A lot of things we consider worship today is just one minuscule part of their worship in the old days. So one of the things that they did usually is to serve, you know, the priests they serve to help brothers and sisters. They call them, you know, the, the fellow Israelites to worship God. They take their offering. You know, the people who stand at the uh, at the uh, debit booth, you know, the people who stand at the debit booth and, and um, uh, an offering an electronic offering, they're helping people to the serving people to give sacrifices. They're like the old priests in the old days. People bringing birds, bringing animals, bringing lamb. So all those priests, who's going to go slaughter them? It's those priests. They take those offerings and help people to worship God with their offerings. And by the way, offerings is another form of worship. In fact, it's one of the biggest forms of worship. If you were to read Leviticus, you see all kinds of offerings in the Bible. That's the true worship. Music itself is a small, minuscule part, and we made it so big in our culture. True worship is to give and to serve in the house of God. Can I hear an amen? So that's... What Paul the Apostle said, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Do you realize that if you serve God, it requires you to sacrifice? As those people who volunteer in this church today, they had to come early in the morning. I thought I would be the first one here when I got here at 9.20. I wasn't the first one. I wasn't even the second one or the third one. There were people making the sacrifice. We have a sister. She came here first thing in the morning. When I walk in here, she was setting up the cameras. She took a bus here. Ladies and gentlemen, when you want to worship God, when you're giving, when you want to worship him, the most powerful form of worship is a worship that is full of sacrifices. Everybody says sacrifices. Do you know why sometimes our worship is so mundane? There's no life in it because there's no, not a whole lot of sacrifice required. You know, I remember there was one missionary was telling me, the, the country they who was a missionary to, you know, in fact, a few people who had been, been a missionary in that country told me that, you know, they, they have Sunday services with people walking one full day to church on Sunday. What that means is that when they will, when they will be meeting at 9 o'clock in the morning, the, the folks, some of the folks Folks will be walk- starting because they don't have any vehicle they start walking on saturday at nine o'clock in the morning and walking to church so that they can reach church at nine the next day they're walking on their feet to the house of god that's sacrifice and that's why in that country we heard so many reports of miracles signs and wonders you know why because their praise and worship is full of sacrifices now, in our church, in our culture these days, you know, just a little snow. I mean, I, I, you got to be careful. I, I, I got to be careful. I don't want to, I don't sound like people need to risk having accidents. We heard a sister last year, you know, she's, they're not here today. But, you know, last year they were in accident trying, last time they were in accident trying to come to church during the snowstorm. And the, the, it, so they, they want to be careful. I understand that. And, and please don't feel condemned at all. Please don't feel ashamed at all. You actually, we didn't even have to be here this morning. Most of the churches in the city probably shut down this morning but we made a difference. And I want to tell you this. I'll tell you this. The the more we give sacrifice in our praise, the more you experience the power of God in your praise. Can I have an amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. So by the mercy of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which means it's no longer your body. It don't belong to you anymore. You say, Lord, I present. You know, there's a saying. We want fire, right? Do we not all want fire? Fire. You know, we always use the scenario that uh, Elijah had. You know, he, he, uh, he, had, uh, he challenged those Baals, you know, those, those, uh, those, those Baals priests, you know, and, and so they offer sacrifice and so forth. And, and we always use the scenario that God would send down fire to us we want the fire that came from heaven but i want to tell you this when there is no meat on the altar there will be no fire ask elijah you think fire will come down god will demonstrate his power to come down when there's no meat on the altar you can believe all you want about revival. You can believe all you want about, you know, the fire of God. But if there's no sacrifice, there'll be no fire. Softly quiet. Many of you came sacrificially this morning. And I believe God is going to touch you with this fire. But I tell you, the more you sacrifice, the greater the demonstration of the power of God will be over your life. His fire will come and consume, consume what you put on the altar. No fire. If there's no sacrifice, there'll be no fire. Verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. By being transformed by the renewal of, my, of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, in this church, we probably preached this a million times already. So, let's move on to verse three. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. The question then is, do we all have a measure of faith that has been assigned? Now I want you to read this in context of what Paul is saying here. First of all, every one of us not to think of him or herself more highly than he ought to think but to think with sober judgment everybody says sober judgment sober. sober judgment on who on yourself each according to the measure of faith that god has assigned And if you have, it is your Bible, I would encourage you to underline measure of faith that God has assigned. That's a very important point I'm going to make. Verse 4, for as in one body, we have many members, and members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one body. Another, having gifts, verse 6, that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Everybody say, use them. Use. Use the gift, a prophecy in proportion to our faith. Ah, the measure of faith is given to us to operate in the office and the function and the gifts that we have all been given. God has given you individually, each of you, have a unique gift that the other people don't have. Paul the apostle basically is saying, don't think too highly of yourself that you can have operate in whatever gift you want to operate in it is given to you that nobody can function in there are gifts in this body there are gifts that many of you have all of you have some of those gifts i don't have even if i try to have them those are amazing gifts if i think too highly of myself thinking that i can do your gift then I am kidding myself. I'm not operating under His grace and therefore the results will be ineffective. But we are all given certain gifts and that gifts can only be operating with the measure of faith. Everybody say measure of faith. Measure of faith given to us. Some of us feel like we haven't got the faith to, I don't know, to sing, because we've heard ourselves singing. And therefore, we haven't been given that gift number one and the measure of faith to sing. But I'll tell you this, there are people that have, have, uh, haven't got the voice, but as soon as they have that faith, it's given by God, all of a sudden they're able to sing like an angel. But wait till you're able to sing like an angel first before you volunteer to sing. (laughs) If service in our serving, verse 7, the measure of faith now, the different gifts now, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. Now let's break it down a little bit so that we can actually understand what we're talking about. So in the kingdom of God, there's some of us have been called to prophesy. But I want to caution you. Don't just prophesy anything, anytime. Because the spirit of prophet is subject to the prophets. There are people that call, you know, I was just sharing with somebody. And um, there are people that call themselves prophets. And um, you can tell they're not really true prophets because whatever they say had never come to pass. And you can look at their lives, a lot of things that they say about themselves never come to pass. In Deuteronomy, it says that you can test a prophet. If the prophet, whatever they say, doesn't come to true, you don't have to believe them anymore. Do you know that there's a lot of prophets out there prophesying things that never come to pass? And yet Christians have such a short-minded, I mean, it's a short-term memory that they can't remember that all the prophecies that these people had prophesied had never come to pass. You know, I remember there was one time, you know, this, there was this very, very famous prophetess. Very famous. If I mentioned her name, some of you would know. And some, I knew many of you, maybe some of you follow her ministry. She'd preach in some of the many big churches that we're familiar with, you know. And I used to listen to her. But I found out one time. What she said never came to pass, and I started to trace all her prophecies. Most of them never came to pass, and yet because she's charismatic, she's able to carry herself well, people just going gaga over it. One time she was in Singapore. She prophesied, she's an American, she prophesied that the pastor of the largest church in the Philippines will become the next president. Some of you from the Philippines. You probably know who I'm talking about. She prophesied it twice. Twice didn't happen. In fact, his voting percentage went from 5% to 2%. I want to encourage you to check those people who call themselves prophets and see what they say will come to pass. Because according to Deuteronomy, if they haven't proven themselves, whatever they prophesy had not come to pass, you have the right and the reason not even paying attention to them. Can I hear an amen? amen. People have short-term memories. They just remember. They don't, can't remember all of the past. And you know, all those so-called prophets, they know that. They know Christians by and large, they can't remember. The, a lot of times, you know, you hear preachers on television promising this and promising that. I'm not knocking them. They say that, you know, if you do this, you send in a thousand dollars check, you know, you will get this much. Nothing happened. They keep doing it. Why? Because we have short-term memory. Well, I'll tell you this. The Bible tells us that we ought to test the prophet. I wasn't even going to preach about this, but this got on to me. I just want to share it with you. We have to be smart it's not like i don't believe in the office of prophecy i do believe in the office of prophecy i've been the benefactors of the office of prophecy their prophets true prophet of god has spoken in my life and things have come true and had been great great encouragement to my life i believe that's a very critical prof, uh, office in the church of god in fact it is from the foundation of the uh, apostle and the prophets the church is built we need to have apostles and prophets in the church and it's very, very important. But, you know, don't let any Tom, Dick, and Harry who call themselves a prophet to convince you that they are prophets. Amen. Check them out. If whatever they prophesy hadn't come to pass at least three times, you have the reason not to listen to them. In fact, I will say this. If they prophesy over you, check them out first before you believe them. Oh, we Christians, so easily... So, oh, this prophet, that prophet. I was talking to a brother, you know? He would go chase prophets down there. There's conference with prophets, you go. He likes to go to all the prophetic conference. Oh, come on. If you have heard, have learned how to hear the voice of God. You don't need to chase those prophets. Can I hear an amen. amen. We are educated, smart people. We do need the office of prophet in this church, in the church of Jesus Christ, in church in general. Absolutely critical. So some of us are called to serve. Some of you can serve like nobody can serve. And if you've been called to serve, we need you. We need you. You know, at the end of of the service, please go help us sign up. We have a beautiful table decorated really well. Go and sign up to be part of our team. We need you. To serve with us, you know, we talk about the vision of this church, right? Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the good news to the poor, to heal the sick, to deliver those who are under bondage, to set the captives free, to mend those who are broken. The calling of this church is to respond, is to respond to the hurt of our city. We can't do that if only three of us are doing it. We need every single one of you to participate. We need you. We need you more than you realize, every single one of you. And your worship is to serve, not just do you know what most Christians are doing, and, and if you are busy, I understand, please don't feel judged or condemned. I'm not forcing people to serve. Please don't feel that. But I want to encourage you, you realize that you you realize that your service will have an impact upon many, many people. Just a small little thing that you do can make a huge difference in people's lives. And the one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in his generosity. Who has the gifts of generosity and contribution? Ooh, I don't see any hands, but praise the Lord. I want to encourage you. If that's in your heart, be a giver. Give sacrificially. You know, we are called to love people who don't give too this church, I don't go check people's offerings. I wouldn't know how much you give or haven't given because that's not important. But you know, the kingdom of God, we need everybody to operate in their calling, in their gifting. And I thank God that some of you are generous and you're responding to the call of God. And so you're a giver. You give generously. And, you know, the money in this church, we don't, we, we don't spend a lot of money. You know, I, I, there, was a, there was a television station contacting me. They went to their the, website and they saw the preaching. The television station contacted me and said, would you please put your, would put your sermon on our TV? Because all the production is done. So we don't have to reproduce it. All we just have to do is send them the format that they want and we, then they will put it on TV. He said, the only thing we ask is that you help us to pay for um the cost our cost their cost to put it on television because it cost this much and i thought well, okay that's great it's really cheap actually i talked to some of my friends you know i get a, i got a big discount and and i said well, why would you call me how you know said they said you know because you know we saw your preaching and and we need more canadian content and so we we figured you probably to help us out i said let me go pray i took the numbers to the lord God, these are the numbers that is going to cost this church. What say you? The Lord says it is not an efficient way to reach the hurt. It's a Christian channels that's speaking to Christians. Come on. I have called you to the hurt. I've called you to the poor, and they don't watch that channel. So I say, aye, aye, sir. I won't. I won't spend it. Not that we didn't have the money. We had the money. So you need to know that we treat every offerings as God's money. It's not my personal piggy bank. If you ask the leaders, the board member in this church and the staff, do you know that I don't touch the money? I stay away from it as far as I can. And every time I need to have some major expenditure, I will go to the board and let them know I'm accountable.